as usual, I'm going to race through this because as usual, I over plan. And we have uh, so six people so presenting. Yeah. Yes. So, um, okay, so in short, the, the forest is a place of beauty and wonderment, mysterious allure, and as we've talked about, it's a home. Now this is a work, um, there was a, the Wisconsin Department of Forestry, back in Wisconsin, they, they organized a, um, an installation in the forest of forest art, and this is by an artist from Argentina. So sometimes, it was up near Manaqua, in northern Wisconsin. Um, I think along a trail, and it was in 2007. And I just want to refer, and I've given you a sheet with all of the artists and all of the references. Um, there is a design student who has a blog, and she had a good definition of land art. You know, we've been referring to earthworks or land art every week because we're dealing with landscape. So uh, land art is created in nature using natural materials such as rock, soil, leaves, and other organic media. The works often exist in the open, located well away from civilization, left to erode in natural conditions, and decompose, fade back into the surroundings. And it's sort of a reaction against um, the perceived artificiality, plastic aesthetics, and ruthless commercialization of other forms of art, rejecting galleries and museums and drawing us back out to nature and its wonderful scenery. Although many artists, most artists produce a series of photographs to be appreciated in more traditional settings. So it does go hand in hand with photography and also video, as you'll see. Uh, it's on the sheet. Everything's on the sheet. And that was Edgardo Madanes from Argentina. Um, Rosemary Baudelet is an American artist, and she created a work in the same installation. She calls it Lucid Asylum. And it took me a little while to get that because it's an inversion of insane asylum. Lucid Asylum. Lucidity is clarity, mental clarity. But also she, she creates these, I think they must be hand-blown bell jars, and what basically, I, I put this photo in so you could see the scale of it, but you can see that she sort of focuses you on certain little things happening in the forest. So it's a microcosmic view. Was that a person looking at the display, or was that part of the sculpture? It was just a photograph that had a person in it to give you scale. It's hard to tell if it was, okay. Right, but these are, you know, small. Okay, um, this is Sylvain Meyer from Switzerland. This was not part of the Wisconsin installation. And this was created with pine needles and wood chips. And he writes that his landscape art is about transforming natural places into supernatural ones using found local materials. Because if you think about it, you wander across this in the forest and you wonder how it got there. It starts to, you know, with. Exactly. And that's. Right. It's, it's, that's where the moment we're looking at something and then looking in and, um, and, and reflecting on what it is comes together in the appreciation. And I think that's why so many artists create these um, sort of myth, myth, false mythology. Now this is this is also part of the Wisconsin installation. This is an artist from Germany called Roger Rigor. So he created this huge turtle, and what he said about it was: imagine a scene long after the invasion 
or the destruction. <laughs> when nothing exists except giant remnants, one is a shell, perhaps a turtle shell, large enough for us to enter and pass through. And there are chairs in there. Turtles aren't aggressive animals at all, but they are keepers of wisdom. Here are fragments of a former invasion, and one must imagine one's own story about what happened around these shells. Invasion is an ongoing process. Today's invaders will be tomorrow's natives when the next wave hits the land. <laughs> well, that's a little apocalyptic, but it's also, it also brings you to creation myths. And this is a creation myth that, that I came to mind as soon as I saw the other one. And this is a photo I took in Vancouver at the Museum of Anthropology by Bill Reed. The sculpture of the raven and the first man depicts the, sto the story of human creation. According to Haida legend, the raven found himself alone one day on Rose Split Beach in Haida Gwaii. He saw an extraordinary clamshell and protruding from it were a number of small human beings. The raven coaxed them to leave the shell to join him in his wonderful world. Some of the humans were hesitant at first, but they were overcome by curiosity and eventually emerged from the partly opened giant clamshell to become the first Haida. Yes. There's a lot of stories about that. That's it. This is a Haida legend. And um, Bill Reed, uh, he was an unbelievable wood sculptor. And you see the scale of this. It was, it's just spectacular. You know, he, they had to create a special plywood for him. And I was trying to remember the kind of wood. And I think, you know what I'm not going to say. I think it might be maple. I believe it is. Nils Udo is a very interesting Bavarian artist. He's been working directly with nature for more than three decades. His lyrical pieces, or what he calls potential utopias of giant nests, misty forest scapes, all of an era of mystery and playfulness. This one was created at Clemson University. And when you see the first photo, you don't quite get a sense of the scale. So this included the, the construction photo, so you can see how huge this thing was. And then I have another photo, and again, this is an aerial view to show you just that. So it, you can imagine that if you managed to clamber in there, you'd have to cl you know, climb up on the tree trunks and go in. You would feel like this tiny little robin's egg in this nest. Mm -hmm. And then he let it sort of naturally decompose, and after a while, they mulched all the trees and used it to sort of protect the forest. I wonder if a lot of these Yes, they certainly are. And we're going to get to the Grimm brothers momentarily. In fact, right now, Hansel and Gretel. This is, uh, the text is by Neil Gaiman based on the, the Grimm brothers. And the illustrations are by Lorenzo Mat Matotti. And I, I just bought the book and I brought it for you to enjoy. And we all know the story. The children, there's a war and, or, well, actually that's Dear Millie. Um, the story is that the children are, are left in the forest by their parents because the family's starving and they, they wanna, the parents want to save themselves. So they, they bring the children and they have to try a few times to lose them because the kids, the first time Hansel leaves pebbles and finds his way home, the second time he doesn't have time to grab pebbles so he uses his bread and of course the birds eat the breadcrumbs. So there's, there's all this, you know, and they find the witch's house and they eat the witch's house and the witch wants to eat them but they end up throwing her in the oven. So this is a very eerily prescient story about the tragedy of what happens later in German forests. Um, this is Dear Millie by Grimm. It was a, t a story that was not found until, I think the year was 1983. It was a Grimm story that had been written in a letter to a, girl, a little girl, and it was found by the family. 
and then it was published and illustrated by Maurice Sendak. And in this story, and these are all German folk stories, um, there is a terrible war raging, and the mother feels that the only way to protect her little daughter is to send her alone into the forest and in hopes that she'll find food, she'll find shelter, and she'll survive. So this, this is a metaphor for what happened to a lot of Jewish so this children. This is Sendak who was growing up during Yes, and Sendak grew up in, uh, amidst Holocaust survivors in his family. Yes. I was just going to say that this year's winner of the Sidney Taylor Book Award mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. children's literature for middle grade children is by Aharon Appelfeld, and it's Adam and Thomas, and it's about two children who survive in the woods, like uh, oh. did himself, and it's been um, highly acclaimed. Uh, well, so. I definitely want to look that up. And Appelfeld <coughs> was a child survivor of the Holocaust and did exactly experience this. He, he wandered alone as a very young child for a very long time. Thank you. Now, that brings us to uh, Lori Beth Clark. She is a professor at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and I've heard her speak about her work. And she, ha she begins uh, her narrative about this work with a quote from Dear Millie, which you just saw. And in her great fear, she decided to send the child into the forest where no enemy could follow. She took the child to the edge of the forest, kissed her, and let her go. Now this is what she says about her, this piece. This was an installation in the forest, I believe near Darmstadt in Germany, 2001. For the past 20 years, I've produced large-scale site-specific installations and performances concerned with social and political issues. Recurrent themes in my work are labor, gender, identity, and objects. The invitation to be part of Vogelfrei, which was the name of this installation project, presents me with a set of exciting creative challenges that put me on unfamiliar fitting. As the product of a post-World War II, never again, Jewish education in the United States, she grew up in Brooklyn, my imagination has been filled for me with images of the Holocaust since I was a child. Although my own Jewish identity has not previously been the focal point of my work or my life. This work, Steckte Kinder, from 2002, <coughs> honors the Jewish children who survived the Holocaust in the forests of Europe. The term refers to children who hid in several different ways, not only those who had to fend for themselves in the woods, but also those who gave up their Jewish parents and identities to become members of Christian families and who were protected architecturally in attics, basements, and spaces between the walls. And she had a relative, uh, her uncle's brother-in-law, was one of the children in the woods in Poland, and the relentless hunger of those years has never left him. In his honor, I placed bread in the houses for the opening. So these are very small. Each pro the project consists of roughly 100 dollhouses, which were constructed by Sally McCorkle. Each house is marked by a mezuzah, which is a ritual indicator of a Jewish home. The houses are hidden along the path of the Waldkunstpfad and the adjoin adjoining trails. I do not expect that specta spectators find all of the houses. Rather, it is my hope that each person glimpse one or two of the houses in the course of walking the trail or during other routine uses of the forest and be reminded of other ways the forest has been used in re recent German history. Because the association of, between the forest and children so often makes a German audience think about fairy tales, a second layer has been added to the project. I have systematically reviewed all the tales collected by the Brothers Grimm and compiled all references to entering the forest. Small red notebooks in each house 
contain one sentence from a different tale. It is remarkable how often these sentences allegorically evoke the experiences of the hidden children of the Shoah. So it's such a, so ingrained in Ashkenazi lore and in our survival uh, stories. But I didn't, any comments on this before I move on? Cause, wow. Okay. So I didn't want to leave you with something so um, depressing. So I, this is a painting of mine of, called In the Forest. And this is my experience of the forest. Being a Wisconsin girl, very much more of a positive than a so. I love going through, like in Madison, they have all the little book house, that little uh, houses that uh, people put books in. Oh, yeah, yeah little libraries. Little libraries. Yeah, it's all you know they are? All, all, it's, I, I know somebody who has one of those. So you can leave a book and take yeah, a book, that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah. And there is something in, in Lori Beth's Clark work about the miniature house that so uh, relates with children and fairy tales. So um, I also, I brought this, in case you want to page through it, this is the Neil Gaiman uh, version. So without further ado, I hope we get to everybody. If we don't, we will have time next week, I'll make sure. Let's begin with Rhonda. Oh, okay. Can you start with someone else? I didn't pull my work out. Sylvia? Uh, sure. Thank you. So, I spend a lot of time keeping my hands busy. And in the evening, it tends to look like this. I knit a lot, um, which is a little bit less of an artistic pursuit in the sense that I'm following somebody else's pattern. And I'm not making choices all the time, which is why I like to do it in the evening. However, it does involve skill. <laughs> I will own that part. And then sometimes I also crochet. I just finished this. And this one, this although a very traditional pattern, did involve a lot of choice along yes. the way. And it was a lot of fun. Color so, design. Do any of it's them cotton. match each other? Or are they all different? They're all different. Yeah. yeah. This, this was all scrap yarn that I had. So, except for a lot of the orange. Um, the, this, this baby is due, I think, today. So. <laughs> Lucky baby. Um, but this is a little bit of my more recent passion. Um, I learned how to quilt many, many years ago, and recently I have learned how to use beads in many different ways. Beads. So this is a piece I did that's called um, The Friendship Garden. Um, if any of you were Girl Scouts growing up, you remember the song about um, make new friends but keep the old, one is silver and the other is gold. So, that's... She's taking your Oh, okay, thank you. I didn't notice. And this is a piece that um, is, was actually sort of inspired by our first summer study when I really began to be interested in pomegranates. And I plan to do more of them. So these are, are small quilts that are embellished with embroidery and beads. I could have sold that one about ten times. Yeah, this is our third year. But so what was the thing the first one that made you think to do? We didn't really have a thing, but I saw it in potions. Which is the okay. of the I didn't remember that we had a thing, clearly. <laughs> oh, no, but one of the things. 
that came out last year. I mean, with the pomegranates. We started out, we, the first year we studied all the garments of the priests. And as artists, as priests, as sort of like uh, like an artist, and one of the things, the bottom of the priestly garments have silver bells in the shape of the pomegranate. That's how we got into the conversation of pomegranates. Silver bells or just bells? Okay, any uh, questions or comments for Sylvia? And I, d I don't know what I'm doing yet for this class. So okay, well, we, we'll see. I, and I don't have dates yet. Um, push, it, push it back, push it back. Well, it, it's not up to me, but um, anyway. Um, let's see. Um, Rhonda, do you want to? Sure. Are you ready? Um, I love that. My main I'll buy it from you. Uh, art doings is So brought a couple things. One is um, when my grandson was being born, um, or before he was born, I was told to make him a quilt. But it, I didn't know if it was a he or she. So we got the... I don't even know what that is. Oh, I think this is... That's the top. So, and it's made out of silk. So. How did you buy your fabric? Probably both. Probably both. Beautiful. I hope the kid doesn't show it. Well, obviously, he hasn't gotten it yet. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it goes on the wall. staying at my house. It's been there since yeah. before he was born. But we did use it at his bris. So that was kind of exciting oh, no, to have. Why did you choose silk for a baby? A real baby doesn't like it. I like working in silk. No, no, I, I've never oh, it's a piece of art. Is that machine or hand quilted? It's machine quilted. So is this a wall quilt or for the crib? Well, honestly, he hasn't even gotten it. Yet. <laughs> you know, it's like she doesn't want. I mean, she hasn't asked for it, so my daughter hasn't asked for it, so she's just stays at my house. I mean, he, he, he could use it. I don't care. But, I mean, the beautiful thing about silk is that it's not too hot and it's not too cold. So, in terms of you know what you would choose for a child, that's actually. A lovely choice. I love silk. I'm not yeah, saying. I'm just, I'm just saying it's know. more delicate. Well, he got other quilts, but you know, this is just so, that was made special because I wanted Ceremony. something special for him. It's beautiful, right? So, um, when the, the same daughter had, had the son got married, and I thought I had a better picture, but I don't. Um, I made her chuppah, wow. and it's here, but um, wow. it, it turned out to be a king size quilt. And um, it's sort of a star pattern, but it's so really. So you began with a chuppah and then incorporated it into a quilt. Is that what you're saying? Or it was just big no, enough was to be. It was, it was big enough to be. Oh, I made it as a chuppah, but it, it, with the intention, you know, you've got a king size bed, use it. Oh, really? Oh, really? Did, did she? The one I made. I don't no. think so. I don't think she ever <laughs> makes a bed. So. That's my daughter. She's acting like a daughter. Just reminding you, we're recording. Oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. You know, what, what, what goes on to our story right now is going back and erasing. Right well, now. I go, I mean, I go to her house and it's like, can I see the quilt and refold it for you? And she has it hanging up and, you know, it's fine. Oh, she has it hanging? Well, hanging in a closet. The book sure. Yeah, that's where the one I made for my son is hanging in their closet. Right. And it's like, okay, whatever. You know, you guys don't. Um, and then the other thing that I did bring was another quilt. We had a kind of a project to do some to do a bead and um, and this is the um, kind of a, the underground railroad. And so each block is a different.
part of the Underground Railroad that they used to use to get the slaves up north to, into Canada. Um, and I named it Road to Freedom. So, Could you name which, which they are? Um, I think so. I think I did. This is the Underground Railroad. This is a monkey wrench, a wagon wheel, a carpenter's wheel, bear paws, basket, um, log cabin, crossroads. Is this how people they would use this for signage on the railroad? Yeah, well, it was on, you know, they'd be, they'd be walking. Here's the book if you want to see what. Hmm. They gave the directions of where the people were supposed yeah. to go. And, wow. the, you know, the people would see one of these quilts hanging in someone's backyard. Yeah. Or yard, and then they would follow the, the sign to whatever the next is going to go. We had color choices. I mean, we, we were told the first month you got to use these colors, so that's why it's kind of a... It's really not representation of what the colors would have been at the time, but. Do you have any other ones? Uh, no. <laughs> I put it in, I found it in the basement. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I'll put it up, I don't. Yeah, I should put it up in, in one of the bedrooms. But. I'm done. No, that's it. that up in your house on Okay. I actually sent you the three that I did last week. Oh, yes. Week. Sorry. Sure. Uh, because I, I have one of them here. Here, here we are. I'll here we are. Okay. That one which sold, which is very nice. <laughs> Feels good. Uh, this was the, um, we talked about gold. And there was good gold and there was bad gold. And good gold was dealing with Adonai. And bad gold was dealing with uh, uh, idols and uh, things like the golden calf, kind of a golden bull, actually. And so this was about the chains of gold that were uh, uh, petroleum, and the top is a sycamore seed that's all dried out, and it was just my concept about, uh, about the world and where, you know, what we're doing with it. Chains of gold are around the outside. Uh, so that was, that was one. Uh, these are called, okay, and it's because of Jane, they're called Shviti jars. And the Shviti was something that you were supposed to look at to get you in the mood for prayer. So it's like to concentrate oh, on it. A meditative. Yeah, a meditative thing. So that was that was one. This is another that I brought. This I called Svirot. And it's the 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 world, the spirit of God in balance with each other. This is the parrot feather. This is the which is the you know, animal kingdom and the um uh, Pine cone, which is the uh, you know the, the kingdom of plants and that okay, and that everything is together and interlocked. So, and they're very uh, textural. I don't know if you want to pass it or whatever, but they feel good. So, um, but these were I brought, and there was one other one there too. It was about shemaim. It was the you know the the color of of the uh, uh, god is. Uh, uh, it has to do with blues and the purples that, you know. And so this was the, the intersection of the heavens and the earth and the uh, coral there underwater and the birds and the butterflies, and those are bird feathers on top, and a butterfly that I made out of, you know, golden wire. It's not really gold. Um, and that they were yeah, messengers between heaven and earth. So that was what 
that one was. These were ones that, uh, it was from a totally different thing. This is about memory. And all of us get these wonderful cards from your kids, from, you know, love, people who love you, and they sign their names, and they, this is my granddaughter first beginning to write. Uh, and then these happy Mother's Day, Mom, all our love, and, you know, they're divorced now, but this was, <laughs> what can you say? It is what it is. Okay. And with some just beautiful things, and I have to laugh because the, uh, you know, I was talking about memory, and the, the uh, sort of uh, deformed um, uh, fork on top was from a Thanksgiving that, we had at my nephew's in Las Vegas, and it got caught in the disposal. So all of this is about... I just, you know, I do things like this. So this is, so if you ever, you know, want to think about what do you do, what do you, right, what do you do with these gorgeous cards and notes that you get? You know, this one was about grandmother, and so it's, if I had a rose for every time I think of you, I'd walk in my garden forever. Aww. And so it's oh, all sweet. about, you know. Love the fam. You know, yeah, and the fam is just something, again, you know, that, uh, so they're just, that so was you're memories, you're and this is, yes, yeah, putting it together. Yes. Yes. I think that's a lovely way to do it. I just want to say, I love the idea of meditative art, and I'm very yeah. interested in it. And speak to Sylvia's comment that she didn't think it was artistic to follow a pattern. Oh, I, I, th I think it can be. I think sometimes when I'm following or doing something what I consider mindless, I actually get very meditative. Right. It's in a different form. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Just love this. Yeah. Or yeah. some people meditate better than others. <laughs> oh, yeah. I net it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you have my shares. Um, so I. Uh, if we don't get to everybody today, we'll pick it up next week. I'm hoping we will. I think we will. I'll go quickly. Should I just start before? So, let me just give. Do you want the video first or? Um, let me talk for a minute first. So I'm primarily a poet. Um, one of the what I brought in to show today, because I thought it fit with landscape, is something that I've been experimenting with that you'll sometimes hear called cine poetry or um, video essays, motion poems. So this was for a short film. Total film was five minutes. I made last year. I've brought the first poem, and I also brought. It, which I'll send pass around. I had written the poem previously, and I adapted it for to to work with visual images better. So I thought I would just show both of those, and then on the back of the sheets is if you find the form interesting or the artist retreat where I was. These are um, references to it. So that said, here's here's the first of three ser three poems. Because it's all about the audio, really. Oh, oh dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> right. If you just pull up on the Dropbox, does it? Well, it's, I embedded it in the, oh, sorry. I embedded it in the, um, I'll show you the link. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
That's fine. That's supposed to make that sound. I had regarded the body as merely a container of orderly matter, the mind, emotions, the soul. I had regarded my body as a container of myself for so long that I considered the concept not a concept, but rather an immutable law of nature. I am my thoughts, my feelings, I thought. My body, that's another matter altogether. And to the thoughts I had attached words, so many words, so that the self seemed to me to be the incarnation of words. As if words were breath, I missed how organic the silent can be, what goes without saying. And yet, all around me, the earth sprouts and grows and cycles without a single word for preface or postscript. The earth itself is a habitation inhabiting itself. Imagine what it might be like to regard the body as self. Wow. Very cool. I love the synthesis of the video, mm -hmm. <coughs> the poetry, the sound. Thank you. I think you did that very successfully. It's, it's a learning curve. It's a really yeah. big learning and curve. And it's really easy to do it badly. <laughs> well, so. I did have a little help at the end from my daughter who just graduated from NYU in film and TV. So oh, she helped me a little bit. Um, but job. I did it on iMovie and Skokie Public Library has great resources. Um, and there was this little film festival in Ashfield, Massachusetts, which is where the writer's retreat is. And you could, it just had to have some connection to Ashfield if you were an outsider. Um, and so some of the imagery is from there, and it was a series of three of them. There were two others. So, so how many films do you have like this? This is it. Okay. <laughs> do you have That's the ambition? I don't know. The technology, I mean, yes, and I'm interested because I work with students. You know, I'm interested in bringing this in with um, kids. Um, but the technology, you know, now I haven't done it in like a year, you know, and just even how do I, um, it actually kind of grew out of, I wanted to do a documentary film about this writer's retreat um and that is harder than i thought it would be um so it was sort of the start of that so yeah i'm interested i mean i brought it because i thought it had like an overlap with yeah. artists um so um yeah you know it was just an interesting experience i think were i to do it again instead of taking a bunch of film and then going through all my poems i would try to be like thinking what fits and and in these that maybe went around i mean you can just see that it's a very different sort of experience if you're submitting something for a journal and these are paired with art then when i realized it just didn't translate i have a writing partner who is not a writer and when she first heard it she said i can't take it in just visually without you know an auditory without seeing text so i had to change it to be a little like more conversational um so yeah. the first thank you thank you
How did you come upon that last image? That was the one. That I went skinny age. dipping at the Glencoe <laughs> um, beach. I just, I was skinny dipping, and I thought, oh, oh that's oh. sort of an interesting <laughs> image. My bathing suit oh, um, so there. So you know, I have all this um, photos. So. <laughs> I mean, a certain part of the Glencoe Beach that's kind of isolated, but it was felt so awesome. The nude part of the Glencoe Beach. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. The Glencoe Beach. Was that the first time you'd ever done that? Um, probably not. I mean, I swam the there in my underwear right? last week, so I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I, I have this thing about water, so I'm really sorry I missed the first session on water, and particularly lately. Um, so, um, I don't know. I'm sort of new to the natural world, and I'm just kind of blown away by it. So. Mm. Uh, um, this is a, this is a series of... I think I've given you eight pictures out of a series of about a hundred mm -hmm. that I did on six days of creation. Oh. Um, it started off just with a few pictures, I think 550, which I eventually distilled and compacted into six or eight. Um, I've produced a book of this. Uh, it started off as a project for... Um, the visual part of a master's in fine arts mm. thesis. And um, I've tried to use the days in uh, sequence uh, and did my own interpretation, of course. And all these are composites. Um, some of these are 10, 12 pictures combined and in completely different places. I'm not going to tell you what they are because you'll start laughing. Especially, especially the bottom what one is there is... Um, well, I better not tell you. Okay, just carry on. Should <laughs> she keep going? What's the name? Do you have a name for this particular one? No, this is... Uh, I've done... This is, is this Let There Be this? Light. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what it looks And like. then yeah. I've just given you uh, some from each... Uh, one. Uh, this is the division of... Hmm. The, the darkness waters. from the light. Oh, nice. This is the creation of the grasses and the trees. Right. Of course, coming out of water. This is the, the insects <coughs> and the animals. So even though manipulated, it's all cool. From the Kalahari. Yeah. <laughs> this is the creation of Adam. I like the way you use thread, a dog yeah. for a mask. And this even is Adam and Eve. And throughout the series, uh, I've used what I call a bloodline connecting us all together. Mm So these are all photograph, even though they're manipulated photography, all no all painting. We can buy this on Amazon, Phil. Hmm? We can buy this on Amazon. No, it's uh, <laughs> I've published it myself. Beautiful. Um, and this is the family of man. Hmm. Talk about fields. Lovely. That's Lovely. enough for one day. <laughs> Thank you. That's That's interesting work. So well, how, how did you do the little um, the ghostly images? Of 
Well, it's from from photographs converting uh, converting colour pictures into black and white yeah. and then fading them. You know, uh, I would say that each image takes something like twenty or thirty hours of work. It's a it's a very slow. You know, that, that we thought that Photoshop would. Um, make things easier it does because you can repeat what you're doing but it takes far more effort yeah. than i used to do in the dark room yeah. and interestingly enough the influence for all this came from the person that they call the grandfather of photoshop he's an american i don't know if any of you heard of the work of jerry Yulesman. Sure. Um, uh, jerry and i knew each other quite well in fact he I brought him out to South Africa to give a series of lectures, and he stayed with us. And uh, he said that the work couldn't be done in colour because he works entirely in black and white. Mm -hmm. So I, he, he went to bed early because he was giving a lecture the next morning, and I went into the dark room where I emerged at 4.30 in the morning, and I put the picture next to his bed. <laughs> and when he woke up in the morning, he just looked at me and he said, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, uh, this is the future. This and is Photoshop was designed because of the work he did originally. He did like misty... Uh, oh, he's... Like he is in every museum in the world. Yeah, What's his name? Ulsman. He's a, prof he's a retired professor from the University of U -E -L Florida. U-E-L-S-M-A-N-N, -N, yeah. And, um... <coughs> I love what you've done with that. You really took it and ran it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we should see Sylvia's because she, we presented on the And I'm sorry to run through it, but... Lucy, oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Here we go, here we go. Uh, here we go. How do I... Okay, now you want to show the slideshow? Yeah. I can just now, can I forward it? How do I forward just... I'll do it if you want. You can just tell me, or you can just click on the down. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm a graduate degree in, from the, uh, recently, from Columbia College in book and paper, which is my current craft, if you want to say it, my medium. I have a BFA from uh, in industrial design. I love tools, I love materials, I love all this kind of stuff, you know. I, I really get into this stuff. And so then my first start was I was a car designer for General Motors. And I worked for five years. I was one of five females in an industry that was dominated by men. You lived in Detroit. <clears throat> yes, ma'am. And then um, left there and then worked free, worked, started my own business. And this was... Uh, photographing the new Lamborghini that came out. So, they're, they're very tiny. You can't even fit in them. Very tiny. You have to be like a little midget to fit in them. But they're just wonderful cars. I've driven every car in the world at that time. Um, and then when I started my own business, I also created a... This has started my avenue or my direction into making books. And I created this leather journal where I received a patent 
And so then it was a portable leather journal, non-structured, and it was for artists and it had musical notes. I mean, it was way, sometimes way ahead of my time. I mean, now this is taking off. And <clears throat> but these were just ideas that came into being. When I went to Columbia to receive my degree, these were my sketch notes on the process of bookbinding. So I, it's been published. There are, you know, it tells you everything from, and these are real-time drawings. They're done as the person is teaching. We're visual people. <clears throat> and that's how I sketch. That's how I think. Uh, these are some of the books you'll see some there out there. This is right. This is more of a non This is a Coptic binding uh, book made from actual wood and natural papers burning. And it was, it was. I was when I went to grad school. I had experienced a lot of hardship prior to that. So it was a process of burning and singeing because scripture talks about that fire is something that scorches, and that's why I felt like going through this whole thing. Um, my thesis was to create a mishkan, and I drew an analogy between the three sections in bookbinding. The tools that are there I designed and had built and machined, and they're all working. And they all use the colors of the mishkan. And so that talks about the sewing and the piercing, the things in our life and our spine that, that, that God uses to create us and to develop us. And then this portion, when you make a book, you're dealing with the head and the tail and the spine things to further develop. And then finally, this is the purple book rest in 24 karat gold where we ultimately find rest in that holy of holies, you know, but it's a process. And so when you walk in there, you would, it was just illustrations of books and in the back was just no, no, no burned pages because that's ultimately, you're complete. You're in his protection and care in that sense. <clears throat> These are some of the more current pieces. This is a caterpillar stitch, a wooden book. So... I do really crazy stuff. And I don't. You, and you marbled that. That's not marble. That's hand paint. That's wood paint. That's uh, milk paint and paper, crumpled stuff. And I just do crazy stuff. I really don't have any sort of. This is the uh, around. This was in Paris, around the world in 80 days. It's a letterpress edition. And so then, you are. This is for fine binders. So I chose the topic of the world. And the time, the, the, the element of the stopwatch. He was always particular about the time. So uh, within that, and then I photoshopped in Jules. Two. Yeah, Passport 2 was not, but I can't remember Phineas the. Right, and so Phineas Fogg, and then the uh, author's name is within the watch. Are the books always white, or do you sometimes have text? No, this is text. Oh, this okay. is the physical text. Okay. You have to buy the text books like $150. Okay. They give you a period of time to bind. It's all people from all over the world create okay. these books. <clears throat> this was um, the Diary of Victor Frankenstein. I went to BAM and I bought a 495 book and I just ripped it apart and redesigned it. And the story revolves around the grandson who had received a package and it told the story of his grandfather and, and Frankenstein. So, <clears throat> this is Ellie Wiesel's, uh This was displayed at the Chicago Public Library night. So it was a, they take paperbacks and they have to get rid of them. So then he says, well, let's redesign it. So this, what you see is the front, inside a cage. You have to get behind there, behind the gate. And then the back side, some of the... <coughs> it is. And then I do things. This was a, this was a siddur. When I started getting into my morning prayers, a friend of mine had given me this siddur. And it's Chabad. And I don't read... I don't read Hebrew. I can't, I'm beginning to learn it. <clears throat> but the prayers are beautiful, and they just inspire me in the morning. So then I couldn't find the book anymore because it's out of print, and they have a newer version of it. So I called some 
a rabbi in Oak Park, goes, you have this book. I said, because I wanted to give it back to her and say thank you. So this is the same book, Rebound. And then it has, you know, end sheets that are hand-marbled blue paper. So I do this crazy stuff, and I do that for people who... And then the final piece is a piece that I'm really thrilled to, to present, and I'll be with Judith yeah, yeah. at, uh, at Spurtis, and it's called Tahara. I'm a member of Hever Kadisha. And so then this is, I'm creating an in, intimate installation of the, ex, the beautiful experience of the ritual uh, of God's mercy of taking care of somebody who could never re, you know, return that thank you. These are the initial sketches. And so what it is, it'll be incorporated, it'll have a wall piece, and you will see the profile of the individual. And as the shadow is cast, when you're looking at this book, you will see the image. Because really, Sages teaches that the neshama is present in that. But also in terms of, it's also duality that I don't even know that person. So it's really a silhouette that I'm seeing. I don't know that person at all. And then there's a... Yeah. And then here is a slab of Jerusalem stone. I cast it. It's cast stone. It's a faux stone. Which will, we will hold the book. And then there will be indentations to indicate the time that this is a tradition for hundreds of years. And then where the head is and where the feet are and the arms are. So, it's, so that was the initial sketch done nine months ago. This is a mock-up, an eighth-inch scale of what I was hoping to do. And you can see the profile. I was working with materials. And this is the final piece. So what you see is I incorporate elements of the actual the book in itself is the shape of a casket. And so then there will be three sections and of different thicknesses of paper dealing with death and cleansing and finally the transformation of translucent paper of what we become after that process. And then um, within the book there are various prayers that are said, you know, just bits of it because you really don't, I didn't want to make it like, oh, this is a manual. It was my experience. So, um, and then here's the slab of stone and in here's a well of water, so it's really molded water. But you look at it, and it's a reminder of, of the water life. And then the supports of cedar. To me, cedar, as mentioned today, was something that was fragrant, something that supports as part of the temple. It doesn't rot. So, so this whole experience, about 48 inches wide, but, but this is so that my experience, and you'll see shadows. People see different things in there, but this is just fabric that's been gessoed and colored and... And uh, this is the book that will be placed in there. This is the cover, again, wood. And you can see the different materials. The actual storage container is not displayed, but the whole thing deals with death and life. So when the book is stored, it's placed within a casket with a stone on top of it to remember. So it's all about life and, and death. And here it is laid in there, and you can see the water. The stone is cracked each time. This is just concrete. This is hypertufan. I painted it to make it look like, um, like Jerusalem stone. And here is one of the images. This is an image of my grandmother when she was dying. So uh, that's the start of it. The first page is so is is white. It's the actual tahrihim, the actual shroud. I cut it, and so then, as you open it, it's almost like you're opening up what's happening and then at the end it's closing and it deals with death and the bottom of the book has three holes because the caskets have three holes so that it could rot you know our bodies can decompose so it really is sort of a it's just a crazy thing I mean I'm still 
And so uh, that's it. So it'll be showing in September with Judith. Yeah, I just want to mention, um, Sylvia and I are in the Midwest Jewish Arts Lab at Spurtas, and the opening for the exhibition will be Sunday, September 25th. Yeah, we'd love to have um, you guys there. In the afternoon, and, and you're all invited. And uh, in addition to us, there are 10 other fabulous artists as well as I think if you were to listen back to how you spoke on the tape, there's really a poem in there with very little editing. I mean, I'm just sort of listening yes. to you while you're talking. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just want to suggest that. Okay. <laughs> and then I have samples of the books. If you, I, I have no problem with people touching books. That's what books are for. So. Thank you, everyone, who brought your work today. It was uh, magnificent. And next week, um, we will do the remaining artists. Um, and we will talk about the whole earth. Okay, hold on.